Hi everyone, I'm Josh, and this is The Emerald, Currents and Trends Through a Mythic Lens, the podcast where we explore an ever-changing world and our lives in it through the lens of myth, story, and imagination. The Emerald, all that's happening on this green jewel in space. Hello, friends. A quick note here at the beginning about this episode. So this is one that's been in the works for quite a while, and it goes into a subject that's timeless and a subject that I could truly steep in and explore forever. It's about sound and vibration and how sound is understood in animist and spiritual traditions around the world. And just so everyone knows, I started working on this episode some time ago well before the current crisis in the Middle East erupted. So in the midst of what's going on in the world right now, it may seem tangential to release an episode about sound and vibration. And then, of course, there are also ways in which song and sound are vehicles through which to process difficult times. And they offer a way to connect in the midst of the cacophony around us and they help us replenish our relationship to place and to each other and to all that really matters in a living, sonorous world. So song and sound are, from this perspective, always relevant. And the song of all that is, which, as Tolkien articulated so clearly, is a song of both joy and lament, is present and is waiting to be sung along to always. And so I just wanted to say that before this episode starts. I know everyone is feeling a lot. I'm feeling a lot. I'm going to dive into some of those feelings in future episodes and discussions. But for now, here's an opportunity to steep in song, sound, and vibration. Really deep thanks to Trevor Hall, to Sri Parvati Baul, and to Leah Song and Chloe Smith for contributing their voices to this episode. And now, on with the episode. Shh. Listen. Listen close. There is... A sound. Do you hear it? There is a sound. Buried beneath the noise of everyday life, the chatter of the children, the grumbling of the car engines, the growl of the garbage truck, the roar of the subway train. Far beneath the bells and whistles that occupy our waking lives, the apps that beep at us, the timers, the reminders, there is a sound. If we're too distracted by the noise, some say, we miss it. Too distracted by the buzz of our own thought process, we miss it. Too distracted by phone chatter, we definitely miss it. Yet, just pause for a moment, open our ears, 
fine-tune ourselves a little bit, take a breath through the pores of our skin, and suddenly, suddenly, all of nature is conspiring to funnel us towards it. The dragonfly's wings, the lapping rill of waves over pebbles, there is a sound, there is a sound. uttered and re-uttered across the ages, uttering of itself by itself, forever. Do you hear it? A sound that is the hum of all voices in one, all worlds in one, as if the interstellar chorus of black holes and collapsing stars were inextricably mingled with cricket song, as if infants' cries and angelic choirs were sprung of the same voice, as if lovers' moans and the mongrel howls of the cremation ground were one song, as if all songs of reunion and dissolution, all cries of please don't leave me and it's so good to see you after all these years and I do, yes I do and don't grieve for me and now at last I pass into the great mystery are all one song. Everything passing and changing I can see memories fading This I have been contemplating The sonorous ripples of the universe's ongoing love for itself, some say The reverberations of a great longing Or, you could say, a very simple longing for this sound is simple the sound is simple it says listen listen it says here I am oh great wonder in the midst of all this I am So, some have said that it is the vibration of consciousness beholding itself, the quivering voice of a universe that never ceases to proclaim, I exist, in humble wonder, and then trembles at the repercussions of that very proclamation. Does it call itself beloved? Yes. Is it in awe of itself? Yes. Does it long for itself, as the Chataka bird longs for rain? Yes. The bird that sips only monsoon rain from the high skies above? Yes. Does it retract, now separate from itself, and sing in isolation of returning home? Yes. And then, does it rejoin as all choral voices of creation melt back into one? Yes. Does it split again into limitless choirs of specificity and diversity? Into eyes and jaws and limbs? Into interstellar clouds and the hiss of fungal spores and the clack of cicada's wings and the lolling of a million tongues? Yes. 
Does it reshape in infinite rhythms as the stick pounding upon the drum, as the concussion of bombs on battlefields and the finger strikes of a little girl practicing piano scales? Yes. Does it ring in the clash of sword on shield even as it expresses as tender sighs? Yes. Does it arise out of itself forever? A source spilling over forever? Forever. Yes. The song that sang itself had no language, says Susan Schoen Harjo. It was a heartbeat that thundered through the canyons of time. Where is it to be found, this eternal heartbeat, this sound? It's hidden in plain sight. It plants itself in the myths and stories of the world. It echoes as the names of the gods themselves. It whispers in the name of Shu, the Egyptian wind god. It buzzes in the name of Zeus, all lightning and thunder. It hums in the name of the secret god Amun and reverberates as his dynamic creator counterpart Tatatanen. Listen. Amun and Tatatanen. A hum and an echo. All this. A hum and an echo. All this. Do you hear it? It rings out in Tolkien's word of creation, Ea. It proclaims, In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. And listen close, it whirs in the word, word itself. Whirr. Do you hear it? Whirr. Whirr. You can hear it turning in the Sanskrit word for turnings, vrittis, vrt vrt. The dragonfly hums, the thought arises, the kitten whines, a universe is born. Such are the turnings of the holy word. There is a sound. It is vibrational potency itself. Its power to shock is right there in the word shakti. It's why the word hum hums and the word buzz buzzes. It puts the breath, the ha, in the aloha. It breathes the hi into samastitihi. It is the clean clean of Kali, the doom doom of Durga, the ah of Shiva, and the e of Shakti. It moves from mouth to mouth, leaps from drum to ear, and shakes bodies. It shakes cells. It is a heartbeat, a drumbeat, an ancient Peruvian floor drum that booms with resonance across a thousand years. It ululates in the name Uluru, the vibrational navel of the world. It puts the watery hiss in Mississippi, which means, of course, the sound of the gathering of all the waters. It is the fractal ripple of vibration that puts the sha in the orisha. Orisha, the fractal shards of consciousness. It delivers the pop in Puppoe, which Robin Wall Kimmerer describes like this, quote, My first taste of the missing language was the word Puppoe on my tongue. I stumbled upon it in a book by the Anishinaabe ethnobotanist Kiwe Dinokwe, forgive my pronunciation, 
in a treatise on the traditional uses of fungi by our people. Popowi, she explained, translates as the force which causes mushrooms to push up from the earth overnight. Do you hear it? Singing as the world? The aboriginal Kaiwu group of women say in their book Song Spirals, quote, The world sings all the time. We sing and the clouds sing. The planets sing, the rain sings, the birds, the plants, the rocks, the tides sing. And we sing the world. There is a sound. The fish, animals, and different beings, they sing in different ways at different frequencies. Some songs take a long time. The world is alive with their sound. The world is their sound and ours. This is the music of nature. This is why, they say, the names of the animals are the sounds they make. The wallaby is dum dum as their tail and feet hit the ground. The dove is kukuk. The coal bird is guak. Each name is the sound. The sound is them singing. The sound of the waves through the songs is wah, wah. Hear the sound? This communication between animals, between land, animals, and people, between the tide, the sun, and the moon, is about giving and receiving messages. There is a sound. Beloved, do you hear it? The whole swaying forest in the Gita Govinda is trying to get you to hear it. Which is why Jayadev invokes cuckoos and bees and the bend and sway of sandal trees. He's spiraling you through a forest of sound to take you right to it. Follow him. Follow the trail. For the sound is nature. It is her. It is divine, if you want to call it that. It is the movement of the world. Sound is... God, says Pandit Pranath, and many are the texts that speak of the animating power of creation as sound itself. The great goddess is Nada Rupa, sings the Lalita Sahasranama, she who is in the form of sound. She is the word, the text says, the lady of the word, worshipped by celestial musicians. She reverberates in the sound. She is Devani, resonance, says the Kumarika Kandaha. And so, erupting from deep space, she hums. She hums. About her dense black hair, the bees are buzzing in swarms, cries Ram Prasad, a verse that sent Sri Ramakrishna spiraling into trance. Listen to that closely. About her dense black hair. The bees are buzzing and swarm. Do you hear it? The eternal, fathomless mystery buzzes. Right now it buzzes. The fruitful darkness is all around us. In bloom. The fruitful darkness is all around us. In
space reverberates with sound. And at last, scientists are finally saying that they've heard it too. The sound of gravitational waves, the sound of creation, the hum of the cosmos. Just a couple months ago, they at last detected it. Gravitational waves sounding from a black hole. Around your dense black hair, mother, the bees are buzzing in swarms. There is a sound. It's like a choir with all these supermassive black hole pairs chiming in at different frequencies, says scientist Chiara Mingarelli, assistant professor of physics at Yale University. Yes, Chiara, it's like a choir, because it is a choir. For Tolkien, creation itself came to be because of a choir. Quote, Then the voices of the Ainur like unto harps and lutes and pipes and trumpets and viols and organs, and like unto countless choirs singing with words, began to fashion the theme of Iluvatar, that's the creator, to a great music. And a sound arose of endless interchanging melodies woven in harmony that passed beyond hearing into the depths and into the heights, and the places of the dwelling of Iluvatar were filled to overflowing, and the music and the echo of the music went out into the void. And it was not void. And Tolkien wasn't wrong. The universe is not metaphorically a choir. It is a choir. It turns out that all that stuff about the music of the spheres is true. Turns out the ancient alchemists and astrologers were right. From the atomic to the cosmic, this whole place is singing. Planetary intervals are harmonic, and the entire solar system is a tuned harmonic structure, says John Martineau in the little book of coincidence. And so you know, that's not a New Age book. That's a mathematics book. That's right, the math of musical intervals is present and the relationship between all of the planetary bodies in our solar system. It's present in the relative dimensions of the sun and the moon and their relative positioning to planet Earth. And those same musical ratios are present in the human body just as they are present in the morning glory and the spiral crown of the desert succulent. The ratios that govern plant growth, that determine the pattern of leaves on the stem, the distance between those leaves, these are harmonic musical intervals. There is music, literally, in how leaves grow. There is music in how flowers express in fifths and octaves. DNA itself is structured musically, says Joachim Ernst Berendt, precisely according to the Pythagorean Tetractus, the octave, the fifth, the fourth, and the major second. Your tissues are literally sung into being, vibrated through the four-stringed lute of the DNA molecule. This universe is a choir, and each atom, says Lama Govinda, is constantly singing a song. Explorer Alexandra David Neal speaks of an encounter with a Bunpo practitioner in Tibet, who was known as the master of the tone. She records him as saying, quote, all creatures, all beings, 
all things, even the seemingly lifeless ones, give off tones. Each one produces a special characteristic tone. Why? Beings and things, he says, are conglomerations of the smallest particles, dultra, and these particles dance, and as they dance, they produce tones. This is what the teachings say. In the beginning was the wind, he says. With its whirl, it created the jatams, the primordial forms. This wind sounded. Thus it was sound which formed matter. The sounding of these first jatams brought further forms, which, by virtue of their sounds, created new shapes. This is by no means a tale from things long past, he says. It is still this way. The sound brings forth all forms and all beings. The sound is that through which we live. The cosmic system, says Hazrat Naya Khan, works by the laws of harmony, the laws of music. And everything, everything obeys a secret music. A secret music in which one primal sound, sounding forever, fractals into its infinite choir, its infinite orchestra, its infinite chorus of wails and ululations, its infinite keens, its infinite laments, its infinite whoops and exultations, and each of those voices lead back to one sound. One sound. So, if you've ever recorded in a recording studio, you know that a song, right, all the varied instrumentation, all the many tracks, the rhythms, all this ultimately is one waveform, right? When you see it, when you're recording, it's one waveform. A vinyl record is one waveform spiraling around a center. So if you were to take all sounds ever sung, all sounds emanating from all the great spiraling structures of space-time, from the hum of the hummingbird to the roar of deep space, and you were to trace that great orchestra on a page, what would all those sounds together look like? They would look like one wave, one stream, one serpentine pulse. There is a sound. One umbilical sonic line direct to the mystery. This is the one vibration. Can you hear it? And when we catch a glimpse of it, we start to remember that this sound has perhaps been guiding our lives all along, that we've navigated this life, this world, through resonance, that we've gravitated towards the things that we are passionate about and the people that we love and the communities that we want to deepen into from a deep heart resonance. This life has been a musical endeavor all along, and all of our lessons, you could say, come in the form of a sound. All of my lessons, they come in the form of a sound. i
So I've wanted to interview Trevor Hall for some time now. His music has formed the soundtrack for some of the more meaningful events in my life. And I've wanted to storytell over his melodies and to speak with him about sound and song and devotion. Because his music, for me, is steeped in a deep devotion. There's a tangible love of the Divine Mother, an unabashed willingness to go into the simplicity of the mystical at a time when people are either reluctant to go there or perhaps too willing to advertise themselves as mystics. And I've also wanted to do an episode for a while now on vibration. You know, I thought about calling it It's All Vibration, Man, like the cliché goes. But the cliché is there for a reason, right? It is all vibration. And I've wanted to explore the facets and aspects and permutations of the animate as sound. Because there are many traditions the world over who feel the link between animacy, between this living universe and sound. And so when I heard Trevor release a song whose chorus says, all of my lessons come in the form of a sound, it was a bridge to something I've wanted to explore for a long time. And be warned, I've taken Trevor's lyrics and our conversation in this episode and spiraled it all into my own ponderings on sound and vibration and animacy. So not everything in this episode is necessarily how he views the meaning of those lyrics. It's a spiraling off of his lyrics and his sounds, you could say, into a shoreless ocean of sound. As our conversation revealed, all of my lessons come in the form of a sound, can be as grand as the reverberant hum of ultimate reality delivering insights to the attuned ear, and it can also be as simple as the process of composing a song, in gratitude, there, out back, in the barn. Yeah, being in this very interesting time in my life, you know, becoming a new parent and moving into our like first home and having a barn that I've converted into a space to intentionally be creative as possible, you know, having that space, you know, having access to that space. I didn't have that before. Becoming a parent, I think there's the death of uh, your old life that you kind of mourn a little bit, but you don't really have time to mourn it because you know you're you have this new life right on your lap, and you're just kind of shoved into your new life, you know, and just being in that kind of in between state. Obviously, one of the ways I process my journey and my internal feelings is is through music, is through sound, and. You know, with the birth of new life comes such as birth of that creative energy and spirit. And then to have a place to literally be like a playground for me, you know, this barn, a mm. sonic playground, you know, creative playground, all these things were coming together. And I know I've, I, I love music, obviously, and I love being a musician, and that's what I do. But it was like I was falling in love so much deeper. It's like the journey always continues with, with sound and with music. And I found this new appreciation, new love of the power of song. And when I look back on my life, everything, directly or indirectly, when I look back at it, it has come from music, you know, it's, it's my livelihood. It's my, it's how I learned my 
you know, lessons. It's how I explore my spirituality. It's what I have to offer. We're able to have a home, you know, diapers, whatever it is. That element of me being a musician is in everything. And that element of sound is in everything, you know. And so we decided to release that song first, you know, because all of my lessons come in the form of a sound. It sets the stage for this chapter of my creative process. It's like I'm in the house out in the backyard. I lit the smoke before the song. Whenever I come into the barn, I always light some dupe, some incense to get it going, you know. This is the journey I've been taking of how I enter different rooms. You know, it's through sound, it's through, even though I'm physically in this space, in this barn, um, I go everywhere in this barn. I go all over the place through sound. The journey's just deepened in that way, you know, and I'm grateful for it. And it's kind of like a celebration of it, a celebration of song and music. And, and that's what that song like means to me. And it sets the stage for the rest of the the rest of the record to come out and here's all these lessons I've been learning, you know, through through that creative process. Beautiful. And that whole feeling like I'm in the I'm in the barn but I go everywhere. It reminds me there's a there's a line from Hazrat Anayat Khan, the, mm. the Sufi mystic and Yeah. And he says the mystic travels led by a mysterious sound. Mm. And it, it just reminded me of that. The, yeah. The transportive ability of sound and then and then he also says who knows the mysteries of sound knows the mysteries of the universe yeah i was interested if you had any uh any thoughts on that i can only speak from like my own experience you know obviously i've heard things from you know people that i look up to or different masters or different yogis or inspirations say certain things but obviously they're in a much higher state of like realization but sound for me it's kind of like a paradox it's like the sound brings me into a place of silence and i feel like i just touch something deep within my being deeper than i can get with any other tool and you know growing up just being a kid a youth you know like a sensitive person music was always like a shelter for me because it always brought me into a place of quiet you know i used to like have to go to sleep with my headphones on because that was the thing that was able to relax me and then as i got older got influenced by d different traditions from mystical traditions from india especially and, and nepal and these types of places everywhere really I, I started to view sound as a very spiritual energy and learned its significance in these these knowledge traditions and started to feel pretty lucky that I get to like immerse myself in it every day but for me the magic of of sound is is bringing me into a place of of silence and of beyond my logical reasoning mind it helps me get into that almost witness space where I don't even feel like I'm doing anything, you know, I feel like it's, you know, another energy coming through. I feel like a lot of artists will probably be able to relate to that in a way, you know, you can't explain it. But as far as understanding sound to the point of understanding the ways of the universe, I'm definitely not that advanced. In my heart, I do believe that's probably very true and different people that are able to see that subtle, subtle plane. I'm sure that's a very 
beautiful place to be, but I'm definitely not there. <laughs> I was reminded of a story of there's one Indian saint where he was, he was, as you were talking about sound, he was going, uh, they were wandering in the hills in the Himalayas and looking for a place to set up an ashram, like a, a special place. And he came upon this one spot and he sat down and he said, this is the spot because I hear the sound here. They're hearing different things than, than us, you know. I do believe that all sound is, now you got me going a little bit, but all sound is, comes from one sound. And in the Indian tradition, obviously it's Om, and, um, but I know the other tradition, uh, everywhere they, they do have almost some type of syllable, you know, some type of sound that is very sacred to them. I think music is so magical because it's a reflection of that original sound and that original vibration. And it's coming out from that sound, but we're able to ride that back into that yeah. original sound. I, and that's what I think so special about music. That's why so many people love music. They give me one culture that does, it's everywhere, you know? And it transcends everything. It transcends language because it's it's so much closer to the source, you know. So I feel like when when we hear music as beings, you know, we can't explain that feeling of why we want, but it's it's reminding us, I think, of our original nature. If we choose to, I think we can use music to go back into that original place, original sound. How you gonna get free this time? Falling into a blue sky mind Came to me in that song, my friend I just wanna go back again hey. Mother standing right next to me Showing me what I need to see hey. Rain is falling into my mouth Flowers blooming all up and down I've found in and through the body It's in and through the body All along In and through the body All along It's in and through the body we return somewhere through sound. It's a journey. A journey where? Into silence, as Trevor's talking about. Into the vastness. Into remembering. Into freedom. A journey home. From Song Spirals, quote, The sound communicates who we are, our identity, and where our homeland is. The place and the song are one. We go back to our homeland through song. Feel into that. We go back to our homeland through song. When we understand sound as transportive, when we understand it as a cord, a lifeline, a thread, when we understand we are connected vibrationally to it, then we can ride it home. What will you gain by merely hearing this sound? asked Ramakrishna. You hear the roar of the ocean from a distance. By following the roar, you can reach 
the ocean. As long as there is the roar, there must also be the ocean. By following the trail of Om, you attain Brahman, the limitless expanse. Sound is a trail. Have you heard the sound inviting you on the great journey? Sri Aurobindo described it as the far-off anthem of a pilgrim sea. A murmur, multitudinous and lone. All sounds it was in turn, he says, yet still the same. The immortal cry that ravished the captive ear. Many traditions describe song as a vehicle of travel, a caravan of path. Quote, song spirals are a route, a path. They walk through the land. When we hear the song, we travel through country. The song takes us there. We see everything. The soil, the rocks, the leaves, the sea, the crocodile making a nest, the lightning. The song spirals tell us where everything is. We are in another dimension when we sing. The time is now when we sing. The sound brings me into a place of silence. So, sound transports us somewhere. But the place to which it transports us is here, to the place of present. The time is now when we sing, they say, right? The mantra is the great traverse to here, to the place of presence. Vibration is the presence of the infinite and the thread that connects us there. And this understanding of vibration isn't limited to ancient tantra or to modern surf rock. In the Afro-Brazilian Umbanda traditions, everything is connected through vibration. Vibrations, Umbanda mother Mai Glassi says in the book Spirit Song, originate in the spiritual realm. Vibration is the flow of energy within and among humans as well as the energy of the spirits. It connects everything. There is vibration in the light of the candles in preparation for the ritual. There is vibration in the curling incense smoke. There is vibration in the garments worn, vibration in the shimmer of the beaded trance veil, in the tinkling adornments in every aspect of the ritual aesthetic. The ritual shimmers deliberately. It pulses deliberately. It's meant to vibrate. It calls vibration through vibration. Vibration is in the rhythm of the drums, the clapping of hands, the pontus invoked. Quote, The drum has an energy of vibration, an ashe. It hurls you, the vibration lunges you to the ancestor, lunges you to the divinity, to the sacred. Understand? Vibration makes possible the manifestation of the entity in the trance ritual, the Umbanda mother says. The song, the music has a vibration, and the saint, the animate being, has a vibration. The animate being has a vibration. The animate being is a vibration. Saint George arrives in the circle. Who is Saint George? Saint George is a vibration. Santa Barbara is a vibration. Oshun and her dance of waterfalls and lights, her dance of joyous veils. Oshun, 
is a vibration. The saint is a vibration. The animate force is a vibration. God is a vibration. So in the Afro-Brazilian traditions, the vibration of the music attracts the particular vibration of the animate being. As the vibration rises, the practitioner themselves begins to vibrate. Deep in the marrow, deep in the cells, the rising vibration marks the onset of trance. And the practitioners ride a thread of vibration right to the spirit world, which hums and radiates itself as an endless sea of vibration. Vibration is a cord, a thread, if you want to reach the ocean, follow the roar. John Coltrane put it this way in A Love Supreme. He said, thought waves, heat waves, all vibrations, all paths lead to God. And then he said, thank you, God. Thank you, creator. Thank you. Thank you, great vibration. Thank you, eternal song. Here before you, animate power, I say, thank you. are undertaken through sound. Pilgrimages realized through sound. Communities are replenished through sound. And within this sound, if we follow it, is our own remembering, our own reconnection to a living cosmos, to a universe that hums with life. Remember, it sings. Remember how you were shaped in a humming womb how your first sensations were of a liquid world that hummed and pulsed. Remember, remember deeper still. Remember silence, remember vastness. Remember how the goddess herself awoke, how creation stirred to the sound of its own humming. The sound leads us to this place, this womb of mystery. The sounds conspire to lead us to the holy country, the high, vast, deep country of vibration. I speak of a country ever so lovely inside a soul. country, this sound beyond, and yet it is present right here within us. It is in the body. 
A yogi alone, says Ramakrishna, knows that the universal sound originates both from his own navel and from the supreme Brahman, the great expanse resting on the ocean of milk. So where do we look for this sound? Look for him in the temple of your limbs, cries Baal singer Jadu Bindu. He is there as the Lord of the world speaking, singing and enchanting tunes. There, in the temple of your limbs, lives the animate force, singing, speaking. And the role of the practitioner is to clear the vessel and hear the universal sound reverberating within. And one thing I've always loved about the Indian traditions, they're not just going to tell us philosophically that the universe is sound and sound is our homeland and that the ultimate reality is sound and then leave us to figure out what that means for us in some kind of abstract way. They're going to describe dozens of ways, possibly hundreds of ways to ride sound back to its source. Hundreds of ways to hum, to encant, to chant, to invoke, to sing. For a yogi, the food can be the japa. The food can be the sound. So what Baul is practicing, the inner sound that we, we can hear as a baby inside mother's womb, is to bring back that quality in us. You are just listening. And that is the na, the sadhana of the Baul, the practice of the sound. When the sound starts working in that soundless sound that is inside, to turn it into a complete yoga, a complete vibration that is so intense that it continues even if you are not singing. So the Vijnana Bhairava Tantra gives us practice after practice of sonic immersion in which the individual consciousness attunes to the vastness through sound. Quote, One whose heart mind is completely focused on the prolonged sounds of a musical instrument such as a tantri through the duration of the phases of their resonance, at the limit of the perceptible sound, one's beautiful form becomes that of the supreme void. So the practitioner listens until there is no listener, only sound itself. And as that sound recapitulates the pulse of creation itself, arising out of itself, swelling to fullness, dissipating into a sky of reverberation before sounding again, the practitioner follows it into spaciousness. By performing a complete articulation of the OM sound and meditating on the void at the end of its protracted, saturated sound, one enters into the spacious openness by means of the void which is the supreme mother power, Parashakti. So the yogi wakens to the supreme sound from the Shiva Samhita. This is my most beloved yoga. From practicing this gradually, the yogi begins to hear mystic sounds. The first sound is like the hum of the honey-intoxicated bee. The next is that of a flute. Then of a lute. After this, by the gradual practice of yoga, the yogi hears the sounds of ringing bells, and then the roar of thunder. This is what the bard has always wanted, isn't it? To ride the thread of sound to its source. 
and to dissolve there. So Baul Ishan Jugi sings, I feel no sadness at complete dissolution. What more could I wish than to dissolve in the breath of your melody? One of the things that you said about receiving that sound from the original sound and then writing it back to the original sound. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like that's been part of like kind of the, I guess you could say poetic or bardic or musical yeah. with sound from the beginning. Um, yeah, for sure. We we have a, we as saying in our house we say from mother to mother, you know, because it's all coming from her in our in our mood, you know, in our spiritual mood, um, and it, it all just goes back to her. You know, she's she's the the source of the offering, the offering itself, and also the place that it goes back to. And I feel I really feel that with music when I'm writing music or or creating or anything i i kind of feel that process and that process it happening is just it's just so beautiful and so healing and it's what i live for that connection that relationship um as an artist so in a sense it's like the music is her singing to her yeah i feel like in its deepest sense you can use whatever you want it's the sound singing singing itself back to its original sound to feel that process you know i feel like others must feel that in a way too in whatever their creative respects are it's beautiful when that happens you know when you're able to kind of get out of your own way and really just see it happening right before you through you in you it's just like wow and that's what i revere you know that energy i, I revere that energy almost like sound is just like this shoreless ocean you know it's unending potentiality there's no shore you know Sri Ramakrishna uses this metaphor it's a shoreless ocean right a rain of voices from the shoreless ocean and through the the longing of the heart the loving influence of the person the devotee or the artist that water cools and you know becomes like a form a block of ice obviously he was using this metaphor 
for various incarnations of the deities. But what are those deities other than vibration and sound? So I also say that that's a similar process with music. Those ice cubes are like songs, you know? They kind of form and then at the same time, they're just water. They just go back to that place, you know? It's like so magical. How does that happen? So with that, when I'm creating, it, it has to be a place of like no mind and no rationality, no reason, you know? I am a very, I got a super black and white mind. Like besides when I'm outside of music, I have like just the shittiest mind. Okay. <laughs> really just like, I don't think I, you're alone. <laughs> yeah. Really just like, it's tough in there, you know, but with music, with music, it's, um, it's a place where that, that either dissipates or goes away. And I, I'm not controlled by it anymore. I'm more in this like witness place. So I have to be in this place where, you know, I'm not thinking too much. If I'm thinking so much, I, it, it's just not working. And I'd usually just kind of put it down and respect that it's not coming through. But when it is, it's so much more of a thing of listening rather than playing. And you don't know what's going to happen, where you're going, the direction, anything. You have to completely throw all those things out of your mind. This is what I've been learning, you know, especially in having the space of my own and through this record. This has been kind of like my meditation. You have to throw all those things out of your mind, all that rationality, everything, any label, anything, and truly just surrender to the river of sound. That's the channels open. River and just let it happen you know and and when it starts to come through you know it's it's like it is a process of almost transcribing you know for me usually the words don't come first it is the sound that's, that sound gives birth to the mood before the words right it gives birth to the emotion that i'm feeling you know if i play you something you'll be able to say oh that sounds sad or you'll be, oh, that sounds really happy, right? You know, so naturally the sound gives birth to the emotion, to the mood. And then the mumbling starts to happen, you know, where I love the, the, and it's almost like you're transcribing this mumbling. And before you know it, these words come forth or this story comes forth that you don't even know 100% what it's really about yet, you know, and you have to just surrender to that. You know, and then the magical thing is maybe you don't understand what that song's about until a year later or two years later. I've had that happen so many times, you know, where a song comes through, you don't know what it's for or who it's for, but you know it's something. And then, wow, a year later, you have this experience where it was meant for that moment or. It was the culmination of that song's like journey, you know? It's so wild, you know? And, you know, it's what we live for. We live for that process. We live for that experience of being with that energy when it's first so raw, just coming out untapped. You know, every artist lives for that, you know, that feeling. And we can either use that 
for good or we can use it for evil because it's very powerful, you know. You can either respect it or try to use it for your own selfish measures. It's such an amazing process. Yeah, I love that image of the the shoreless ocean that you brought in. Mm. It's cool what you're saying because it's almost like the it's almost like the words are like the last phase of that crystallization process you're talking about in a way. It almost I mean it almost is, right? Now that we're like talking it out. That is, you know, one of the last pieces that come. So that in itself proves that sound and vibration is so much more subtle than our actual language, obviously. Sound is a shoreless ocean. And the bard journeys the path of sound to that ocean, dissolves into its boundarylessness, and returns laden with songs, with the ability to call, to summon, to invoke, to reinvigorate the world through song. And all the muses are made of sound. So the stories and myths are full of bards who could call the forces of nature through song. The Celtic bard Amergan parts a great storm at sea through the power of song. I am wind on sea, he sings. I am ocean, wave, I am roar of sea, who but I announces the ages of the moon. The Indian singer Tanzan lights lamps and kindles fire through song. Tanzan's singing, quote, brings rain, melts stones, causes flowers to blossom, and attracts ferocious wild animals to join a peaceful, quiet circle in the forest. The holy waters, they come. How was it that Tanzan kindled candles by singing? Hazrat Anayat Khan was asked, and he responded, Tanzan had mastered sound. All of creation brings with light. And therefore, the sound of his voice became living. All of creation brings with light. And by his making the voice live, All of creation brings everything that he wanted happened. Very few in this world know to what extent phenomena can be produced by the power of the voice, he says. If there is any real trace of miracle in this world, it is in the voice. All of creation And, of course, our first inclination is to view these stories or the powers of the bards as metaphorical, right? Sure, they had powerful voices, but they couldn't actually move things with their voices, right? Light lamps, bring rain, and then feel into it just a little deeper, Feel into what you have moved in this life through your voice. What has come to you in your life through voice, through tone, through inflection, through words? Think of all that you have summoned, holy summoner, the love in your life. It's there most likely because of words that you shared. You and your partner met and someone said something that resonated, that echoed in the ear just right, and the rest is history. What comes to us comes to us through 
voice, vibration, in one way or another. This is the living power of the word. Every word is a call. Every word is a vibrational request of the universe. We're here to call, to hear the melody of creation and sing back. This, for many traditions, is the role of human beings, to sing back, to be a voice calling. In a world that threatens to lull us to sleep, in a world of cacophonous voices, can we remember that every word we speak is a call and bring some deep resonance, relationality, intentionality to that call? I feel like when we lose that sensitivity as a society, as a culture, when we lose that ability to to listen and offer back, to offer mm. praise back, that, that that has profound impacts. Yeah, I think it definitely has profound impacts. I think there's a lot of things out there that are muting that channel, mm. you know. But you know, it's it's not something that like I feel like can be forced it's like uh, you can't hammer a nail into a stone they say you know and so that i think just supports the point again of cultivating our own person our own inner self and trying to live in the best way we can you know sometimes oh that's not enough or that doesn't make a difference it does make a difference it's bs if you don't think so because it has to start small and it has to start with how you treat everything and everyone around you and that inspiration is dangerous to to the babylonian system you know because you can't control inspiration right and it's so powerful when it catches on you know yeah it's up to us to live in an inspiring way yeah, yeah. and that spark of inspiration and how that spreads and moves and transmits you know, 100% you know that's why like music has always been right there on the front lines of rebellion music's always always been on the front end of change you know the way that music in a second 20,000 people are moving. It's energy in different forms, you know, mm. energy of sound, ultimately, yeah. you know, vibe. You know, it's like, oh, that person's got a good vibe, right. you know. What is that? There it is, vibe, it's vibration. That's what we're talking about. You know, all those cliche things are true. <laughs> Who knew they're all, all those cliche statements are so true. Um, that transmission, that transmission. That transmission, that energy is a living thing. That's the Divine Mother in our tradition. It's that Shakti. She's going to do whatever she wants to do, you know. So she's going to move wherever she wants to move and express herself however she wants to express herself ultimately. And so 
everybody has a different attitude, you know, in a relationship. I mean, my attitude is one of, um, you know, surrender and, and acknowledgement. That's what I try to like just work on for my own self, you know, surrender and acknowledgement and, and ultimately a love, a love for that energy. I, I feel you and it reminds me of when Ramakrishna said that everything is within the jurisdiction of Shakti, right? Like, yeah, he, he did, yeah. Like the conversation we're having, the mind that when you're meditating, the thought, yeah. even a person meditating, like yeah. all of that is, yeah. is her. And he was also saying that to some pretty heavy people, you know, some heavy characters at that time who didn't believe in anything of that nature, you know. And ultimately, all those people came around, yeah. you know, because they knew that he he was something special, obviously, and had something special to say. I thought that was very interesting, but that's a whole nother podcast. I could talk about Takur all day long. Well, <laughs> feel free. Yeah. I, you know, fell into the tradition of the Divine Mother, you know, kind of through high school and through living in an ashram in California and going to India that way, I fell into this tradition of devotion towards the Divine Mother, which is it's like the main current of my life. And um, it's just enriched so many different aspects. I mean, it's touched everything. It, it touches everything. It influences, you know, 99.9% of my decisions. And that devotional aspect influences everything influences my music it influences how i take care of my family how i uh, travel how i treat people around me it's only enriched my everyday life to me it feels like just a natural recognition of the universe and the way things are like you understand like what ramakrishna said if you understand her to be the the power that moves through everything that is as jurisdiction within everything, then the natural relationship to that is you you're gonna know, have a di- you're gonna have a different attitude. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have a different attitude. Yeah, and you know, to me, it feels like a recognition of the like the alignment we're in with nature. I mean, with time. You know, we're yeah. not calling the shots. We're not. Yeah. In control. We're fleeting like passing and yeah it's like all there is to do is sing her praises in a way but some of us think we are in control you know a lot of us you know so but that's also that's also her you know so so it's like you're fully surrounded my first trip to india we went to see this uh swami named swami gyanananda he was a swiss Swiss man who walked from Switzerland to India. He came to India and he like took to monastic life and became like a very well-known, you know, figure in the hills in Dehradun where where we met him at, at his ashrama and had traveled all over India and, you know, lived in a cave, the whole thing. And he was very inspiring. It's very wonderful to sit with. And he was talking about surrender, and one of the persons in our party said, well, how do you know when to surrender? Or like, you know, when do you surrender? And he was like, when you're fully surrounded, you know? It's like, when you see, when you see that everything, that everything, everything around you, within you, 
in subtle form, in physical form, everything is that divine energy. You have no choice but to bow down. When we realize that all of it is her, that all of it echoes as her, all of it is nature, all of it is the animate force, all of it speaks, all of it listens as her, when we realize that she is vaster than vast, and yet she is closer than close, that the distant far-off sound has been right here all along, the feeling that this stirs is, is what? Relief? Surrender? Devotion? The quenching, perhaps, of a great longing? Or the invitation to dwell in that longing as everything around us cries in longing too. So we started with the song, um, All My Lessons. And yeah. The second line after it says, all my lessons come in the form of a sound, it says, I am a bird who is waiting for them to come down. Yeah, that's kind of referring to, there's a mythological bird, real bird, but it's used in Indian mythology, the Chataka bird as a bird that only drinks the rainwater when the stars are in a certain constellation at a very particular precise time, even though it's surrounded by water, it only drinks that water from the heavens, you know. And this is a kind of metaphor for the Chatuk bird only goes after the essence, it only goes after the highest, you know. And um, there was this bow song that was taught to me by one of my teachers that plays on this metaphor as the singer refers to himself as a Chatuk bird that's waiting for the grace of the Divine Mother to come down and he's kind of lamenting oh ma when will you shower your grace so i i just kind of took that you know metaphor for my own journey as a artist as a you know human being all of my lessons come in the form of a sound you know i'm just i'm always just waiting to receive them but it's just understanding that sound is for me in my life that's like the essence of my life it's like pay attention to that and, and, and that only in a way. Yeah, it's beautiful. And Mirabai's song about the Chataka bird also, I believe. Yeah, there's many there's many different many different, you know, songs that include that. It's in the Tulsi Dasra Ramacharitamanas and in the Krishna Leela and so many things. Lots of Bao songs refer mm. to the Chataka bird though, because the Baos, they refer to themselves as birds sometimes, and the bird of the heart, the Monar Manush. So it's in so many different songs. Such a beautiful image. So Mirabai sings, as the Chataka bird pines for the rain cloud, as the fish longs for water, Mira is restless and longs for her separated lover. The devotional cry of the Chataka bird is a cry of longing. The cry says, look, the divine is all around us everywhere. There's water everywhere. The divine is singing out with tangible voice all around us. Nature is singing out with tangible voice all around us. But still she feels so far away. When will it rain at last? You know that feeling? 
We feel the animate call so present, so clear, but it teases us, drags us along, grinds our faces in the dirt a little bit. It hides from us, it conceals itself. It casts us out on winding trajectories of separation before calling us inevitably home. How could you do this to us, we want to cry. Don't leave us, don't walk away in silence, don't walk away. This dichotomy, this friction, this tension of feeling at once the presence of the living world and our separation from it lives right at the heart of the devotional songs. So Parvati Bao sings a song of Lalan, a song that cries the Chataka, the rainbird sitting by the sea, is thirsty. The bird is dying without water. Alas, oh, the gods of destiny, is this what you had in your hearts? The Chataka waits patiently for the clouds, but the cloud passes into another country and rains there. Tell me, friend, how long will she hold on? Do you feel it? Longing itself has a sound to it, and every sound perhaps is a song of longing. The relationship between sound and longing goes deep. Think of it this way. Why do we make sounds? Why do we say things? Why do we speak words? We do it because we long for something. Human voices sound out in longing. The bird calls out in longing. If the bird was not longing, it would not feel the need to set the air reverberating with its song. So sound is a longing. Drums beat in longing. Cricket legs rub together in longing. Listen on a summer night, and the sound you hear is the sound of a hundred overlapping longings. Crying out together, when at last will we join with you, great mother, great sound? When at last will you release your quenching rain? Nature cries continually all around us. Conjoin with me, devour me again. Find me, leave me, do it all again. Bright comet in the night, find me, leave me, return 6,000 years later, do it all again. Universe, we call out, let us collide at last. The perpetually self-colliding universe in which all sounds are collisions, all collisions are destructions, and all collisions are creations, and all collisions are sound. The sound is the friction, it's the universe rubbing up against itself like cricket legs, forever in longing. What are we called to do in the face of this great longing? If the Bucktons are to be believed, we are to throw the books across the room, close the laptop, fling open the door, make for the nearest forest, and cast ourselves upon the ground, crying at her fragrant feet. I mean, books are important, written words are important, concepts are important, notions are important. But sometimes, sometimes, don't you need to get away from the discourse? I do. Don't we all need to get away from the discourse? You know, you and I talking about this and that, bantering on about this and that, and... All about us, the universe is proclaiming a love song so deep, it blazes with irrepressible fire. It pounds in our neck veins, 
all about us now. It says, cast away those meaningless words and fall again at my feet. No more books, no more empty words, no more running away from her. I greet my lord down by the riverside, it hits me almost every time. So deep that it's hard to sleep at night This is the chapter of the forest Every line and every chorus From my heart it comes I pour it To every single melody Flame without the smoke On this holy poetry I swear I'll never choke Because I only speak of Mama Day Harder, harder every day Lay my love down at her waters Calling on the mountain's daughter song of the lion's mane and as it tosses the sun and moon i sit back and behold that tune all glory upon her name we say and every sound sings glory upon her name Every interstellar fire that burns sings glory upon her name. And every piece of the world sings the whole world, because she is the world singing. All glory upon her name. The new song, you say, like, what does it take to get to blooming? And then and then you say, I, I put a prayer upon the great the blue great sky. Night. Yeah. To me that that speaks to that same that same energy in a way yeah for sure it's that what does it take to get a bloom and as whatever it takes to get that energy flowing you know is it's different for everyone you know it's a celebration of my own relationship with how i receive my lessons but it's also a celebration of how that energy comes through in so many different ways, you know? So that question is also asking like others, hey, what does it take to get it blooming for you? Is it dance? Is it poetry? Is it movement? Is it music? Is it meditation? Is it loving someone, serving someone? You know, whatever it is, it's just celebrating all that, you know? What, however it is for you, whatever that thing is for you, do that thing just like do it keep doing it let's celebrate that you know that you have access to that energy in a way you have something special and that's what i wish for everyone that they can find that thing for themselves that connects them to that energy what does it take to get it blooming how in this world of chaos do we find connection to that fathomless sound how do we find the muse that moves through all this I put a prayer upon the great blue sky, a prayer. How do you pray? The word prayer has a whole lot of baggage attached to it, right? But as Mary Oliver says of praying, I don't know what praying is, she says. I do know how to pay attention. And then she says, it doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot. 
or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and into a silence in which another voice may speak. What does it take to get it moving? Opening the space so that another voice may speak, so that a song all around us may speak. You know, that place where our words aren't trying to prove anything anymore, when we're not trying to make things be this or that, when we're not acutely aware of an audience, when we're not trying to advance any particular agenda, and we're simply humming along with what is. Simply whispering words straight to the mother's heart. So familiar, so close. And then maybe we soften our deep somatic bracing against that word prayer. And we suddenly see how this whole life of ours has been a prayer. And how every sound is a prayer. And how we never stopped praying at all. Even if you forbid it, dear friend, says Madan, I am helpless. My songs contain prayers. Some flowers pray through the radiance of their colors, and others, being dark, pray with their fragrance. As the lute itself prays with vibrating strings, so do I pray with my songs. beautiful and then i watch it move upon the water Mm. song it brings me into now i I watch it move upon the water is that's the energy of that potentiality right you know the ocean of causation it's it's i watch it move upon the water is watching that energy kind of bubble up you know and form and the song brings me into now. It's like song, it just brings me into such a state of presence where I'm not thinking about anything else. When it's working, <laughs> when it's working well, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm brought into now. You know, some things I thought I would remember, so it says, some things I thought I would remember. It's like my older ways have all burned down, right? It's like, because that place is home, you know, you're coming back to your, something that's always there, you know, that eternal, space within our hearts and then you know it's my old ways have all burned down and then it goes on to say hey this is the journey i've been taken of how i enter different rooms whatever way you want to get there i hope you find a way to get there soon it's that prayer it's that wish for yo this is how i've been doing it you know but whatever way is for you get after it and celebrate it One of the tried and true practices of the bard is to listen for the voice of the world in the sound of the waters. Orpheus, they say, the voice of the animate itself. Orpheus sang through the sound of the waters. Listen closely to the waters and you can hear the sound of Orpheus's voice. You can hear the sound of this animate world. So generations of Greek and Thracian poets and singers listened for Orpheus's flows in the water's voice. Trance practitioners in ancient Greece let the sounds of underground streams take them into states of rapture. They heard Pan singing there. They heard the nymphs chatter and beckon and royal. The voice of Oshun, the lady of waterfalls and streams, draws us to her playfully. The muse moves through the waters. 
The waters speak the litany of creation. The waters laugh and gurgle. The waters take us into sweetness. The dynamism of water and the dynamism of sound and the serpentine dynamism of animacy all around us are connected. If the singer wants to invoke dynamism, animacy, they sing quite often about water. So the Gaiwu women sing the water. Quote, the song sings the waters, they say. It speaks of whales surfacing, playing, circling, spraying from their spouts. The movements of nature are present in the song. When we sing the body of water, they say, we are not singing about water, but singing water itself. Of that body of water, we sing. And when we sing of that water, we remake that water. And we remake ourselves and our connections with water and all else that is country. The song spirals name the different waters, following the water out to the bay. The driftwood that has been dislodged by the fierce tide. The mangrove sticks floating and bobbing on the water, floating across Arnhem Bay. The next clan, the mother-child relationship, onwards it spirals. So why name the different waters? Why specifically name the floating, the bobbing, the flow of the tide? What's the power in that? Why does the traditional Afro-Brazilian song to Oshun name every aspect of the water? The river, the lake, the stream that crosses the forest, the stream that cuts the field, the waterfall, the force of the waterfall, the crystalline water, the water that finds the sea, into the arms of the sea, at last into the arms of the sea. Why does it do this? Perhaps it has something to do with resonance and reverberation. The energies, the vibrations of all the facets of a place build as they are invoked. The animacy grows, the places replenish through the naming and singing of all of its aspects. The network of goddess temples across the Indian subcontinent is replenished through the singing of it. The song lines are alive, they are to be sung, they are to be repeated, they are to be invoked. The place is replenished through the naming and singing of all of its aspects. The specific place hums with specificity, hums with its own song, and hums with the one song all at once. So the Gaiwu women describe a practice of a hunter singing the names of all the beings he encountered on a hunt. Quote, The hunter sits under a jomula tree and sings of all the things he saw on his journey to the hunting place. The floating driftwood, the coconut, the garfish, the queenfish, the tern, a small bird with triangle wings that hangs about the sea, and he sings others too. Everything he sees in country he sings. Every time a Yiritja hunter goes out hunting, these are the things he sees. They're in the song spiral. The voice of the world is not an abstract, transcendent hum. It pulses dynamically and specifically in everything around us. It flows more strongly in certain places, sings more loudly in certain places. When the ritual drum pounds for days on end, the sound lingers in the land. Go listen up at Taos Pueblo, the place of Red Willow. You'll hear how songs linger in land. At Rajrapa, the songs linger in the land. 
Songs pool like liquid. Songs grow like vines. There is land that practically shouts and land that has fallen silent. Do you hear? And why spend the time it takes to listen for the song of a place? To learn the song of a place? To sing the song of a place? To help replenish the song of a place? Let's revisit this part of what was said in Song Spirals. When we sing of that water, we remake that water. And we remake ourselves and our connections with water and all else that is country. To hear the song of a place and to sing it is to know connections, to know and vocalize the law of the land, to know how to walk respectfully, to know how to live this life, to be in good relation, to be in harmony. And this part's important because while it can sound mythopoetically beautiful and everything to talk about the one sound and singing back, it can also sound abstract. And it's not abstract. It's very central and very tangible. It's all vibration, right, isn't an abstract cop-out. It's all vibration means that everything we do matters. All the ripples matter. To know the song of a place is to know its rhythms, its cycles, its inhabitants, their habits, their rhythms. To know an ecosystem's time of fullness and lack. To know its seasons, to know how when too much is taken over there, then the results are felt over here. And to vocalize it and reinforce it in the land and in us. Every season, says Song Spirals, is greeted with a song. The pigeon tells us tides are going in or out. The women keen for the beginning of the new day, for birds that sing. They keen for the first rays of the sun. So the song is the law of the land and is the way to walk in the world. Because the primary opening of the human being to the world, says Italian philosopher Giorgio Agamben, is not logical, but musical. How does that sound to you? That all the choices you make in this life are musical? That who you were drawn to in your life and those who were drawn towards you, who you built a life with and who built a life with you, who you laughed with and cried with, who you played with and worked with, that all of this was musical? If we're ever going to figure out what cooperation means, in this world, if we're ever going to figure out what right relationship with land means, we have to navigate musically. It's a resonance thing. Which is why the ancient Chinese texts say that the first duty of the politician is mastery of music, and that, quote, heaven, earth, and humankind come into harmony through tuning to the same note. When the singer comes into motion, the texts say, Heaven and earth respond. The four seasons are in harmony. Stars and planets are orderly. Life is sustained in all beings. So there are traditions where the names of communal ecological relations are spoken every day in gratitude. Where oceans and groves are asked for permission to enter every single time where animacies awaken and thrive because they are sung to. I'll get into this more in the next episode, but there are places where the dead are conversed with as often as the living. Everything becomes a dialogue. 
And when one stays in dialogue, one is never alone. And the world is never dead. And everything matters. And everything in this world of beautiful collisions and burning longings, everything sings. goes something like this, say the guy with women, quote, our song goes to the clouds as we walk to our homeland. The clouds collect the sound and later it will rain. In the ceremony we sing the song and then another clan sings the song. It gathers in and eventually it rains. As we walk, the sound of our walking goes up to the clouds. Our sounds, our voice, our footsteps, the sounds of our existence are woven into the clouds. We walk, we know that place. The birds start talking, it comes alive as we go. We are making sounds, the birds hear us. It is a welcoming. We are singing to the clouds and the chanting goes up, up, up out of our mouths and up to the clouds. Like a vibration of our existence, talking to the clouds singing to the clouds, sending our song to the clouds, because when they hear, the clouds gather. Knowing the cloud is there, knowing that we are always connected, that is our kinship, our pattern of interconnection, and our law, our rom. Rom is the underlying rules and connections that bind us together, that tell us what to do. It is a respect. The law tells us that we are always connected even as we separate, even as the clouds. The clouds know things, and they talk. They say, here we will separate. So that is part of the law of things. The clouds know, they have knowledge, they can talk. This is in the song spirals. The law and the song spirals, like the clouds that gather and separate, tell us to live life to its fullest. Life is precious and we must do what we have to do before we go so that later on, when we are gone, others will respect us. We sing from the land to the sky up into space, from the sea and from the river that lies beneath the path that the messenger takes. The Milky Way is the pathway for the messenger to the spiritual world and the possum string links land and sky and all that is underneath the sky. This is singing country singing the sea. And as we sing the beings of country, we are never alone. We are all together. The whole universe is with us through the song spirals. We must sing it in all the connections. We sing country. What does it mean to you to sing to the land, to sing relationally, to sing back every day? What do you feel are some practices that have helped you like open to receive that downpour or to fine tune the antenna of listening or what, uh, what, what helps, what helps you? It's like sound, sound helps being in sound. Sound helps me receive the sound. Just being out here and creating and practicing, practicing, laying down all my expectations 
you know, practicing repeating that mantra over and over and over and over again, just being in the sound. That's what brings me into the sound, you know? It's not like I need something else, you know, in a way, being around others that are trying to do the same thing, learning about others' processes, seeing if any of that inspires me and opens me, you know, opens my journey, you know? being inspired by others around you to do your own work i think is really helpful as well but yeah just being in the sound just being in the sound tuning my compass to that direction and, you know it's like tucker said the wind of grace is always blowing it's up to us to lift our sails it's always blowing what is that sail you know that you ask it's it's practice you know it's it's trying over and over and over again we sound our longing in a world of longing, and the sound of longing rises to meet the great longing, and the great longing pours out around us everywhere, always, and it shows us how to live, how to breathe, how to love. The wind of grace is always blowing. It's up to us to lift our sails. Listen for the sound of the wind of grace blowing. It's there, just out of reach. Do you hear? It's there. It's right here. Do you hear? So watch it come now and watch it go. Don't you hold on to the high and low. The spirit dancing on the Many thanks to Trevor Hall for taking the time to have such a beautiful conversation. And Trevor's new album, Trevor Hall and the Great In-Between, is available now everywhere you find music. And there's a whole bunch of his songs that form the soundtrack to this episode. And those include Khan, The Fruitful Darkness, All of My Lessons, Blue Sky Mind, Bowl of Light, I Remember You, Jagadisha, My God, We Call, and Chapter of the Forest. I used a lot of other songs in this episode as well. These include the song This by Sheila Chandra, Don't Walk Away by Joy Division, the song Tambor Ayemaya, the song Vasi Furogung by Hio Bataria, A Love Supreme by John Coltrane. Special thanks also to Sri Parvati Bal for singing that song of Lalan about the Chataka bird, to Leah Song and Chloe Smith for singing about the shoreless ocean. And to the Gaiwu group of women, their book Song Spirals is absolutely a must read. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Also quoted in this episode were the books Song Lines, The Power and Promise by Margot Neal and Lynn Kelly, The Gospel of Ramakrishna by Lex Hickson, The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien, 
Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, The Little Book of Coincidence by John Martineau, When the Light of the World Was Subdued, Our Songs Came Through, a Norton Anthology of Native Nations Poetry edited by Joy Harjo, Jayadev's Gita Govinda, Nada Brahma, The World is Sound by Joachim Ernst Berendt, Astronomers Hear the Celestial Choir of Gravitational Waves for the First Time, an article by Ashley Strickland in CNN, June 2023. The Mysticism of Sound and Music by Hazrat Anayat Khan. The Lalita Sahasranama, the Kumarika Kandaha. Magic and Mystery in Tibet by Alexander David Neal. Savitri, The World Soul by Sri Aurobindo. The book Spirit Song, Afro-Brazilian Religious Music and Boundaries by Mark Gadal. Mirror of the Sky, Songs of the Bauls of Bengal by Deben Bhattacharya. The book Sonic Theology by Guy Beck. Christopher Harish Wallace's translation of the Vijnana Bhairavatantra. The poems of Mirabai, Praying by Mary Oliver. Music and the Power of Sound by Alain Danielou. And finally, special thanks to Sonny Reinhardt from Necrot for contributing some beautiful guitar sounds to this episode. If you liked what you heard today, please consider becoming a patron. Patronage starts for as little as $6 per month, and it's a great way to go deeper into the topics that we explore on this podcast. Patrons get access to a twice-monthly study group, an archive of study group discussions, and a thriving community in which topics related to animacy are discussed and steeped in. You can find out more at patreon.com slash theemeraldpodcast. Until next time, may our lives be filled with imagination, vision, and wonder. All of creation brings with light. All of creation brings with light. Thank you.